Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This is True Crime Psychology and Personality where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in counselor education and supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, is the case of Gabby Petito an example of missing white woman syndrome? So I'll go through the history of the syndrome, talk about what the research says, and then offer my analysis. After the intense media coverage of the Gabby Petito case, the topic of missing white woman syndrome has come back to the surface. For example, Joy Reid suggested the syndrome explained the intense media coverage. The idea behind the syndrome, which is also called missing white girl syndrome, is that news media and consumers prefer reporting about cases involving missing young white upper middle class females more so than similar stories featuring minorities, males, and those with lower socioeconomic status. It was originally coined by Gwen Ifill. Under this theory, stories about missing white women are overreported and stories about other people are underreported, or both of those events could be occurring at the same time. Therefore, we would more likely see stories about people like Elizabeth Smart, Madeline McCann, Kaylee Anthony, Lori Hacking, and Natalie Holloway, as opposed to stories about Evelyn Fernandez, Latoya Figueroa, and Tamika Houston. The syndrome is an intersectional theory, specifically involving multiple dimensions coming together, like race, gender, age, and social status. One of those factors could be primarily driving the observation of the syndrome, for example, only race, but the idea is that all the factors are involved in some way. It's a confluence of people being more interested in one specific race, gender, age range, and social status. It represents a complex problem that has a number of moving parts. Other than the factors I mentioned, other factors may explain why certain stories become popular. For example, missing person stories are often mysterious. If there's a story that has a lot of unusual components to it, like features that make it more bizarre, unusual, or odd, that may attract more attention. Another factor is timing. Sometimes a person goes missing during a slow news time, and they get more attention simply for that reason. What does the research literature tell us about missing white woman syndrome? Is it a real phenomenon? In 2016, a study specifically about this syndrome was published in an attempt to offer some type of definitive answer about the construct. 
Before we get to the results of this study, let's take a look at what the research said leading up to it. So what did we know prior to that study? As I mentioned, with the theory of missing white woman syndrome, there are multiple factors, but race and gender are the ones that are most often emphasized. Let's start with the issue of race. There's been a good deal of research about how race influences media reporting. We know that missing whites are more likely to garner media attention than their non-white counterparts. For example, there was a study that examined 205 child abduction stories from 2000 to 2004. The study found that 53% of the missing children were white, yet they were the focus of over 70% of the stories. Now, this, of course, only deals with missing persons and the larger arena of true crime reporting in general. There is disproportionate reporting. For example, whites are more likely to appear in media coverage as victims than non-whites. Persons of color are more likely than their white counterparts to be portrayed as perpetrators. So when looking at the issue of race, we do see bias in the reporting. Now let's move to the issue of gender. There's not nearly as much research on how gender influences crime reporting by the media as compared to race. For many years, research in the area of criminality has really focused on men. Researchers wanted to know why men committed crimes. Did it have to do with mental health factors, addiction, traumatic experiences, personality factors? More recently, however, the research has been more balanced. Now there's also an interest in female perpetrators. As far as the media, women and girls are overrepresented as victims. So there is more reporting about them being victims as compared to what happens in reality. Now moving to the 2016 study I mentioned. This study examined the topic of missing white woman syndrome. There were some limitations because of the data, but overall, I think it was a good attempt to answer the question. Here's what the study found. Blacks were significantly underrepresented in the population of missing persons who received media coverage. The coverage of Hispanics was similar to the coverage of whites, but that may have been because of the intense coverage of Gina de Jesus, who was a victim in the Ariel Castro case. This might have been an outlier effect, where one case exerted undue influence. The coverage of Gina may have been influenced because she was a victim along with two white women. If all three victims were non-white, perhaps there would have been less media coverage. Missing women were overrepresented in media coverage, but the bias toward white women was not as clear. So women in general are clearly overrepresented, but it cannot be concluded with a high degree of certainty that white women specifically are overrepresented. There is some evidence that supports that they are, but it is not particularly strong. This doesn't mean that missing white woman syndrome is not real. The presumption from the study is that the syndrome is real. Much of the problem comes from the way statistics are reported, like from the FBI. Specifically, the data wasn't organized in a way that was conducive to analysis based on race. Allegedly is back for season two, a new crime every time. In each episode of Allegedly, you'll hear a crime told to you by the person who experienced it, intermingled with actor portrayals, original music, immersive soundscapes, to create a cinematic experience for your ear. Season 2's stories include a young woman finding salvation in God, only to realize the leader of her church was running a sex cult, a case of a con artist swindling a kindly older man until he couldn't do anything to stop her a landlord exploiting a mentally disabled man and keeping him a virtual prisoner, an act of bullying spinning a promising young man's life into total chaos, and a luxury boat captain inexplicably detained in a foreign prison with seemingly no hope of ever getting out. 
New episodes release every other week. Look for Allegedly from Voyage Media, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. So, Again, it's suspected that the syndrome is real. We just need more studies to find out. I think it is reasonable to presume that it very well exists and that we should take actions to find out why. What could explain missing white woman syndrome? Why does this happen? There are many theories about the cause of this phenomenon. There's probably not one single cause. Rather, there is an effect from many different forces. I will go through the various items that may have a causal effect. Item number one. The syndrome is a symptom of racial bias, which has existed for a long time. This, of course, doesn't explain why men are excluded, but other items may explain the gender component. Item number two, the media portrays black women as more responsible for being the victim of a crime as compared to white women. Black women are portrayed as less worthy of rescue. The public starts to believe this, and we know that the public is more attracted to victims who they believe did not contribute to their own victim status. Therefore, the public will be more attracted to stories about white women. Item number three, a missing white woman fits more with the traditional paradigm of a damsel in distress, the stereotypical princess who is in need of assistance from a prince or white knight. Seeing stories of missing white women taps into people's desire to be a hero. They picture themselves as saving the victim. The theory behind item number four is a bit unusual, but I thought I would mention it. This theory says that the syndrome exists in part because white women are competitors against white men in the workplace, and white men want to hear stories about their competition being taken out. This really seems like a stretch, but I guess it could explain some of the phenomenon. It seems unusual to think that men would really be happy about a woman being abducted because they would have less competition at work. Again, I think that's quite a stretch, but who knows? Item number five, white women and girls may be viewed more easily as universal victims with whom consumers of media products can identify. It may be that a large proportion of the public makes this connection, therefore these stories are more appealing to them. This of course brings up another question, why is there this tendency to view white women as universal victims? This could be based on the way women are portrayed in the movies and television. It kind of taps into that damsel in distress portrayal I mentioned before. Item number six, due to influences from the media and other factors, many people don't consider something bad happening to a minority as unusual. They view life as a minority as very dangerous, one that often would involve situations like being a missing person. Therefore, what attracts people to the stories of missing white women is the unusual status. It is out of the ordinary and therefore interesting. When looking at all these potential causes, it becomes clear that the missing white woman syndrome is a complex phenomenon. We really don't know that much about it. There hasn't been a lot of research, but from what little is available, 
the phenomenon again does appear to be real. The exact impact of the syndrome is not clear. We know that media reports generally do not lead to missing person cases being resolved. So it probably doesn't have any impact in terms of helping the victim. However, missing person stories do produce empathy for a specific victim from the public. These stories shape attitudes and beliefs. Therefore, it is important that there be a representative balance of missing person stories, not just an acceptance of the syndrome as if it is business as usual or unstoppable. Now moving to the next question. What about the Gabby Petito case? Is this part of missing white woman syndrome? One of the aspects that the research on the syndrome misses is that there are many reasons that the media outlets report on a particular story. Sometimes it may be related to racial and gender bias, but other times it's related to other factors. I think other important factors that lead to a missing person story being reported include how interesting it is, is it unusual, nefarious, suspicious, bizarre, brazen, and peculiar. There are a lot of different factors that go into that decision. In addition, if the case seems quite active, like there are different updates that can be reported frequently, that increases the chances the media will cover it. The Gabby Petito and Brian Laundrie story is incredibly compelling. You have this couple who perhaps naively takes off on this cross-country trip. They're having relational problems. There's a police encounter. The body camera footage is released. There's an incident in a restaurant that witnesses reported where the couple was arguing. The couple themselves made numerous posts to social media, which helps to create context around the story. People can see what they look like, what they were doing. They can understand the surroundings of the couple. There are simply a lot of images available for the media to report. This makes the story catchier. After Gabby goes missing, Ryan Laundry shows up back at his residence in Florida without Gabby and then disappears himself. Moving back to that question, is the media coverage of the Gabby Petito case an example of missing white woman syndrome? I don't think that it is. The syndrome, of course, could be a factor, but this case stands out as amazingly compelling and suspenseful. There may be a racial and gender component to the reporting, but I think with this particular story, it is simply intriguing because of the circumstances surrounding Gabby's disappearance and then Brian's disappearance. I think people want answers, and those answers do not feel far away. I think one thing that keeps the story popular in the media is the idea that the case could be solved at any moment. People want to know what's going to happen next. This case presents a number of learning opportunities, like about the dangers of controlling relationships. It raises awareness about intimate partner violence. There are a lot of valid lessons from this story. It's an important story with wide-reaching implications. In addition, it's suspected that Brian is, or was, hiding in Carlton Reserve, an area of Florida which is populated by poisonous snakes, panthers, and alligators. Anytime a missing person case involves alligators, it automatically qualifies as newsworthy, or at least it should. That should definitely be a rule. I would argue that you could take just about any situation and add an alligator to it, and that would increase the chance that the media will cover it. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis.
Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? (coughs) Or just a horrible accident? (coughs) That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave four-year vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags, because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. Slaycation.